Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Andrew Lee. Andy is an of counsel out of Foley's New York office with a practice focused on a wide array of matters related to the sports, media, and entertainment industries. In this discussion, Andy reflects on growing up in Eastchester, New York, attending American University for undergrad and Fordham University School of Law. And over 70 episodes into the path in the practice, Andy is the first member of Foley's sports and entertainment industry group that I have had on the show. In many ways, Andy has a career who's, you'll look at his bio and wonder, how does one get to do that? And so that's what we do. We unpack his path that has led to such an interesting practice area. After discussing growing up in East Chester, attending law school, Andy reflects on the time he spent clerking on the Fifth Circuit. He then shares about the earlier years of his career working in large law firms and how from that, the opportunity to work in-house at the New York Jets and subsequently to become their general counsel arose. Andy reflects on the years he worked for the Jets. He then talks about how and why he transitioned back to private practice, first through his own boutique firm and then joining Foley and Lardner. I take great care during the conversation to ask those questions of Andy of how does somebody who wants to be a sports lawyer and entertainment lawyer do that? And I think Andy does a good job at not only answering the question, but also exhibiting that you have to have an open mind and be open to new experiences in order to develop such an interesting, unique, and dynamic practice area. Also, because Andy is a lateral to Foley and Lardner, I get him to dive into why he chose Foley. He does a wonderful job of explaining what about the firm's platform and culture attracted him. And then at the end, Andy provides some wonderful advice on the importance of embracing new experiences early in one's legal career. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andy Lee. Andy Lee, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. And we're just going to start this like I start all the shows, which is me asking you if you could give your professional introduction. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Alexis. Great to chat. Yeah, so I am an attorney here fully in, I guess I'm resident in the New York office, although lately I've been spending a lot of time. I was in LA last month and I'm in Miami now, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm based out of the New York office. I am in the part of the litigation department, but I'm also a member of the transactions group, which right now is actually most of my work and a member of the labor and employment group from the perspective of the sort of more niche areas of the of the practices i came in as part of the sports and entertainment group which is from an industry's perspective sports entertainment media and technology is really the main focus of my practice and lately this year i've been spending a lot of time on nft related transactions and and work including as part of the firm's nft task force You've said a number of words that it might drive the listener crazy that I'm not going to immediately follow up on. So the, so I'm just going to list the things, and then everyone can wait. One, that you're a member of both litigation and transactional 
practice groups in certain ways to the sports and entertainment industry team. You're actually the first member of that that I've had on. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. And then you said NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Maybe it's just me, but I think I'm hearing that word all the time. So we we definitely will be talking more about that. But before we unpack some of the ins and outs of your current practice, I'd like to start at somewhat at the beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. I'm originally, everyone is originally from Brooklyn, in my you know opinion, in some strange way. And my mother's family is so my family from Brooklyn. But I, I really grew up in uh, Eastchester, New York, which is part of Westchester County. Strangely, naming-wise, people who aren't from here think, well, is it Eastchester or is it Westchester? But I grew up in Eastchester. I love a I snapshot. Was- like, what's life like? If I found you and say elementary school or middle school. What are you up to? What are you doing in Eastchester? In Eastchester, I was a big part of my life was music. I'm a guitar player. So I was in, you know, various, you know, rock bands on the football team at Eastchester. That was a big part of my life too. And, you know, really just kind of being a kid from a divorced family, you know, um, trying to kind of keep things together. I always had jobs, was working a lot. And yeah, I was really focused on you know, music and football and having fun, maybe a little more than I should have, but it all worked out. Well, and as I mentioned to you before we started recording, part of this, you know, there's many things that this podcast does, but also I hope it shows law students in particular that lawyers are normal people. And at one point we were doing things like being in bands and maybe, and some of us still are, Mark Dilberti in our Milwaukee office. So I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, could you share a little bit about the jobs? Were there any interesting part-time jobs in there? Sure. Well, my first job, so I mentioned my mother's family is from Brooklyn and the family business was, was and is funeral homes, the Torgrosa funeral homes in Brooklyn. So I'm, I'm Italian. I'm Andy Lee. I'm not any, any part Asian at all. I'm Italian and Irish on my, my father's side. So Lee, I guess, originally was only back in the old country. Oh, interesting. Pretty much. I identify more with my mother's side of the family, um, spent most of my time with them in Brooklyn. So the Targrosa Funeral Home was my first, kind of my first job initially when I was very young, like cleaning. And then when I was uh, a little older as a teenager and in high school, I would come into Brooklyn on Saturday, you know, on the weekends and get up early and work as an usher in funerals and a pallbearer, basically carrying caskets, you know, back and forth in and out of the funeral home and in and out of the church. It was a great way to spend like two hours and make, you know, a hundred bucks or something. And when I had a license, I was a limo driver for the funeral homes. Wow. I'll be honest with you. When I asked interesting jobs, I did not anticipate we would get to the family (laughs) business of funeral homes. (laughs) I'm not exactly prepared to ask the ins and outs, but I will say as a family business, that's really interesting and getting to see the different aspects of it, as well as I imagine it develops certain, I don't know if it's either sensitivities or potentially gallows humor sort of things. (laughs) Well, yeah, I definitely was around dead bodies more than Mm -hmm. most kids. It's funny, at one point later on, when I was a little older, this was in, in college. Well, moving on, I went to I went to college at American University in D.C. And at one point, I think, interesting jobs there. I did spend a summer in Alaska in college. Basically went up to Alaska with some friends and cut salmon. We kind of drove up there, lived in tents for a while, and got jobs at, like, salmon processing plants, which was interesting and disgusting. But at one point, moving back to the funeral home, there was a point where when I was moving back to New York for law school and I had met my wife at American University, who was at the time my girlfriend and, you know, we were moving up and we had uh, like stuff we needed to put in storage and we stored it in the basement of the funeral home. We had a friend, a friend helping us kind of moving stuff. And at one point 
my wife, who is Jewish from New York, you know, so in the Jewish religion, you don't, you don't really see dead, but like funerals are not open casket, right? Mm -hmm. So she was kind of fascinated with that aspect <laughs> of it, like wanting to just to see how that works. And our friend who was helping us move in and out of the basement, we were going in and out of this room that was next to the embalming room. And at one point she kind of like shoved him in there and closed the door. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's like out, <laughs> and that's out of a movie. And there was a body on the table. So it was, it kind that of is, freaked him out. That is straight out of a movie. So you've touched <laughs> right. on some of the things about college. But I want to back you up just a little bit. Sure. I'd love to know your process for going to AU. And also so for the listeners, Andy and I, before we jumped on, we're talking about how we're both American University grads, which is, I personally find a bit unusual. There's not, you know, it's not a huge school. So I thought that was interesting. But what was your process like for figuring out where you were going to go to college? You know, I've thought about that a lot recently because I, I wish it was, I have kids now who are college age and doing that. So um, I've gone through that process on the other end. And particularly because, you know, music is still a big part of my life. My older daughter, who's 21, is a, a singer, songwriter, a recording artist, and she has albums out and look up Nina Lee on Spotify. She's Nina Lee official. Everyone, you know, <laughs> shared posts. I always have to plug that. That's right. As she sort of grew, it, it became back into my life a lot more. In fact, I not only produced her first album, but played guitar on it and played gigs with her and all of that. But getting back to your question, the reason I bring that up is when she was looking at schools, we went and visited some, some of these music schools like Berkeley and the Clive Davis School at NYU, where she's currently enrolled. And I was like, wow, these schools are amazing. Like if, I, I had no idea these types of places existed. And I know they're different now than they were back then, right? Because of computers and, and the ability to record, you know, so easily. But no one was guiding me in that sense because it, it was at the time what I loved to do. And if someone would have said, hey, this is there's this school you can go to and just play guitar, I probably would have done that. Now, no regrets because, like I said, I met my wife at American. Yeah, and, things, know, things I, worked out just fine. Yeah, things yeah. worked out just fine. But to get back to your question, I didn't really have a good process. I mean, I had a guidance counselor at school. I was a good student, but sort of by default, you know, I was definitely – I was like partying and more than I should have, but school was kind of easy for me. So my grades were fine. And, you know, they kind of said, well, here's the segment of schools that, you know, you could get into places like, I don't even remember. I know like Lehigh was in there. There were some schools in Pennsylvania. You know, I didn't have anyone talking to me about mm -hmm. anything really. Like, like I said, I, you know, my parents were divorced. My mom was working all the time doing the best she could. And, America University, a couple of schools in that area. My, so my dad lived in Virginia at the time. And American was one of the places that I thought, let me go down there. Yeah. He was from there. His family was from there. That was definitely part of my thinking was it was more like geography and sort of the fact that I had family there. Yep. And college, like it's a, it's a college, I'll apply to some colleges and then I'll go to college. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, we put a lot more thought into it. Well, maybe some people put more thought into it than I wasn't like working with a private college counselor yeah. or anything like that. It was my That's high funny. school guidance counselor. I had a, um, I had a similar experience up kind of nodding along as, as yeah. you share. And I think a lot of people do, which is why I like asking this question of, you know, you're kind of figuring it out. American's a great school. But for me personally, did I even know George Washington existed? No. Right. Did right. I know, you know, I kind of knew what was in my state and I got a couple fee waivers from other places. And then it, that's where I went. Right. Um, so for you, you mentioned like music is this passion, but you show up at American University. What's your major? What was, was there a plan? Um, my major became justice. I did even then I got interested in, you know, like law was always something that was on my mind, right? Going back to earlier years where 
you know, even my teachers or the dean at the high school, like everyone would all, I was always the guy talking my friends out of trouble, talking my own way out of trouble and talking my friends out of trouble, almost like their defense. You're, you're already an advocate. <laughs> I was advocating and the teachers, the dean, they would say, well, you're going to make a great lawyer one day. So that was always kind of planted in the back of my mind as something that I might, that I, I thought I would enjoy. I took a business law class in high school that they offered and it was interesting to me, you know, and I went to American and I gravitated towards those types of courses. So and basically, basically pre-law, essentially. Yeah, yeah, kinda, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't like say, okay, I'm a pre-law. I just, mm -hmm. I just sort of gravitated towards those types of classes. Some of them were policy. Some were, they weren't necessarily law. Some was like criminal justice and things like that. And that was interesting to me. And I did actually take a couple of guitar courses in college. Took some classical guitar, which was actually really good for my technique and keeping me involved. But you know, I also think by the time, you know, I was finishing up college, I think I wasn't quite ready. I think a lot of people face that. Maybe it's different today. There's so many more opportunities, but it was like, okay, do I want to just like start working or am I not quite there yet? And law school was interesting to me. And, and you know, I did have some passion for it as well. And so that's what I, yeah, that's what I decided to do. I was like, I, I let me do some more school. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. But your point about, is it different today? I imagine it's not that different, but I do think you're right, particularly the access to information that people have. You could just sort of, I think by Googling, people will get some real thoughtful things they could, they could think about that maybe, you know, we didn't have a while back. Well, yeah, I mean, what I, what I meant was more that there are a lot of opportunities now. I mean, look, this is an extreme example, but we have young people making hundreds of thousands of dollars on Instagram. As right? social like, media influencers, yes. Yeah, my, my point is like, it used to be like, okay, you need, you need to go to college or you need to go to law school because that's how you get a job. Right. That's how you make money. Like, that's not the case anymore. There's a creator economy. There's, there's yes. a whole different set of avenues and opportunities. And maybe some of that is just a whole, a completely different version of education, mm -hmm. right? But it's not the institutional type. And yeah. it's no different than, like I said, when I was a kid, if I had a Mac that was basically a recording studio, right? Like I had no idea how to make an album. I was a good guitar player. I had yep. a band. It was like, okay, we would press record on a cassette deck if we wanted to hear our stuff. Right. And, and now you could produce everything from home and yeah. put it on TikTok, potentially go viral and just take, right. it, <laughs> take it from there. So how did you decide on Fordham for law school? Well, I wanted to come back to New York, right? That's where I was from. I really didn't, you know, explore schools other than New York and D.C., so I had a few good options and Fordham was a good fit for me. I liked, I liked the school. I was familiar with it, right? Cause I grew up in East Chester, which is not far from the Bronx, even though the law school is not on the Bronx campus of Fordham, right? It's in the Manhattan campus. So I liked the idea of being in New York city where, even though I'd spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, I had never, you know, really like lived in Manhattan. And as I said, I, you know, I met my wife in college. She was coming back. She actually was going to Fordham for her social work, her master of social work degree. So we came up and we kind of stayed in different schools, but both at the same campus. So that works out. And we have, yeah. of course, some, some ground to cover. And there's so many interesting things about your career. So we'll see what all we can pack in. But sure. I would love just some of your, and I realize it was a while ago, but some of your reflections on that law school experience. How did you find it? Did you like it? Was it easy? Was it hard? Well, law school is hard. And I know that hasn't changed, especially at the beginning, especially the first year I know people who did night school, right? It's a longer time period, but they had jobs. And I think there's some, in some ways it's a lot harder. And in other ways, maybe it's like, okay, professors understand you have a job, right? But that first year of law school, like 
there are movies about it. Like you've got, you know, part of it is torture, you know, they're like, they not, not torture, but the whole Socratic method, like, you know, the pressure of it, but that's not specific to Fordham. I try not to be leading when I ask this question, but once again, I think it's important for law students and even junior lawyers to hear people who are well past law school. Most say it was hard because when you're in it, it's just nice to hear that others made it through. They also thought it was hard. So Yeah, well, it's hard, yes. especially the first year of law school. It's super intense. Like, it's not just hard substantively. It's hard psychologically and, like, emotionally. And it's competitive, right? You're making friends, but it's also competitive. It's a challenge in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But it was, it was great. I really enjoyed the time. And Fordham was a great, a great place to do it. I mean, first of all, it's in Manhattan which is a fantastic place to, to be and go to school. The program itself, the, the school itself, was also great. I feel like I got a really great practical education there. I remember when I was, uh, I was a summer associate at Proskauer. So it was my sort of first, you know, interacting with uh, law students from other schools. And my office mate that summer was, uh, she was a student from Harvard, right? Now, I had been at, at Fordham and I had taken like practical classes. I took some clinical courses where, you know, you were like getting actual hands-on experience. And when we started working together over the summer, it was like, and we both kind of joked about this, like her education at Harvard, obviously it's an excellent law school. It was very theoretical and policy driven. And my education so far, you know, had been much more practical. So we, when we were getting assignments and doing things like, I remember we both commented, this was like, I had a much easier time hitting the ground running because... Mm-hmm. I had written briefs. I had done more, you know, recent, like there were just things that I was doing that were more familiar. She was at Harvard and it was like, they didn't expose her to any of that kind of stuff. So it's not a knock on Harvard. It's just different. It's to Fordham's credit, right? I thought yeah. it was a, it was a great school in that regard. It was great in terms of particularly in terms of jobs, right? After law school, particularly in New York, you know, a lot of law for big law firms are based in New York. And if that's what you're looking to do, being at a school like Fordham, if you want to be in New York, you're competitive. The firms here recognize it in many ways on on par with the Harvard Law Schools and the schools from around the country that are sort of, you know, top 10 schools. Which, yeah, but like I don't the know, big I don't national rankings, poll. but Fordham is like yep. a top 20 or something. What was the thought? So you mentioned that you were at Proskauer, and I know that I believe is who you subsequently joined after law school. But when you started right. law school, did you know what type of law or what you wanted to do? I didn't. I was very interested in intellectual property and technology, which remains a big part of my of my practice. So this was mid-90s, right? I think I graduated law school in 97. So it was the mid-90s. This is Web 1.0. I was on the International Law Journal, and I was one of the editors, and I decided, well, we need a website. And, you know, no one had them yet, right? It was like that. It was that early. And so I taught myself how to code HTML. And I wrote, like today you go to like Squarespace or Wix and you make a website. Those things didn't exist. One of my projects was I coded a website, the first website for the, the law journal. And I put all of the issues on the website and, you know, information about, you know, the people. And, you know, it was basic, obviously, by today's standards. But I also had during that time with a close friend of mine, one of the guys that I went to Alaska with, actually, we started the company. So this was kind of like, it wound up being Web 2.0. And when I was in law school, he was doing the nuts and bolts of it. But, you know, we started the company together and I owned a piece of it. And it became basically an e-government web company, a dot-com company that wound up 
creating the e-government infrastructure for the city of Boston, which is where he lived. So everything that was the, the first online, pay your parking tickets online, or, you know, all that kind of stuff, we built that for the city wow. of Boston. So, and then shortly after, a couple of years after law school, we wound up selling that to a public company. And so I was very interested in technology, intellectual property, copyright, including as it related to music and entertainment. And that was where I was going and the sports side as well. I wrote, you know, I wrote a note for my journal that dealt with sports law. So it was always kind of sports, entertainment, media, and technology, which that is, is, still that is amazing. And I'm sorry, there are like 30 follow-ups. I wish I could ask you about that, but I won't because we're not going to make it a three-hour podcast. Okay. So with all those interests in mind, as you were navigating, you know, that law firm process and then into your early years of practice, and it looks to me like generally you were a litigator, but were you able to do those other things? Or yeah, what was your practice in the first? The early well, I, I did a clerkship as well. I clerked on the Fifth okay. Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which was interesting because that was the, the judge lived in Texas, in Brownsville, Texas, of all places, which is the very bottom of Texas. So we were kind of like in Mexico. So I spent a year down there and that obviously it's federal court, right? He was on the mm-hmm. Court of Appeals. He did a couple of trials as well. So that was very litigation focused. So I was interested in it. I found, you know, and I got real exposure to it because I was in court dealing with looking and listening to all these lawyers and reading briefs and writing opinions. So that was interesting. Came back to, to Proskauer and yes, I decided to join the litigation department there and, you know, hit the ground running with it. But I, as I became more senior, I wound up working on, on deals too, whether it was some of it, it grows out of like litigation ends up you're negotiating agreements for settlement, right? Or, but I also got involved with some of the business lawyers there because I kind of, I guess, established myself as someone who could take a ball and run with it. And some of the corporate lawyers who had issues with their clients, it wasn't big enough to, for like a Proskauer level team of litigators to handle, but they needed someone who could just deal with it themselves. You know, so I wound up getting exposure to the corporate side there. But what really happened was at one point after Proskauer, I wound up going to the New York Jets. Those early years as a litigator was still, I was dealing with a lot of interesting stuff in those same areas, right? Sports, entertainment, technology, and media, including the early days of the transition in the music world and the entertainment world on like with MP3s and DVRs and all that litigation when they had the, the record companies and the movie studios just resisting change at all costs. Well, and, and Andy, there's one thing I just have to say explicitly, because I think this is going to be a question for a lot of particularly the, the students listening who are like, I want to do what he does. How does somebody, I get there's litigation, but it can be hard. And not that you're going to answer it right now. I'm just going to say it because maybe yeah. as you explain your career, we'll get some of that. Sure. How does somebody go from I'm a litigator to getting exposure to the sports, music, entertainment yeah. industry? So I guess the the first general question would be, were you able to sort of seek that out at Proskauer? And then, of course, going in the role you had at the New York Jets, I mean, that sort of continues to solidify. But how does one marry these two between litigation and how do you get into this industry, I guess, is the big question. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's, it's more industry specific, right? That can, mm-hmm. It can happen in any department, whether it's litigation or on the corporate side. I mean, in the litigation world, what tends to happen is only certain types of companies or clients kind of always have litigation. Other ones are like, okay, the litigation comes up and when it's done, they're like, thank God, I never want to go through that again. Right? So you may or may not have another litigation for that client. One of the things that I always found interesting about litigation was 
you learn each time you get, you go on a new case and maybe it's a different industry, but you're learning all about a new business mm-hmm. and a new industry. So for me that, that happened, right? Some of it was, I was working on stuff for the jets or for the devils. And, you know, I kind of carved out this little expertise of this world they lived in, in at the Meadowlands learned all about that. But then there was another time where I was working for um, a media buying company and I learned all about the business, the, you know, the advertising business and the media world because I had to, you know, dig deep for purposes of the litigation. So I also sought out lawyers at the firm that had practices that I was interested in, right? And eventually what happened was the Jets were involved with this project to try to build a new stadium in Manhattan. They didn't have an in-house counsel. They didn't have a general counsel, but they were a Proscara client. And I, I had been doing, you know, a fair amount of work with them. So they had gotten to know me. And basically I went on loan. I did what's called a secondment where the firm seconded me to the Jets. So I was going to be there for six months to kind of handle all the litigation that was coming down the pike in connection with this project. But so I, I went in-house there and I established relationships and I wound up doing a lot more than that in those six months and basically being the general counsel at the end of which they, they offered me the job of general counsel. So, you know, I, I had a choice that I actually liked the firm I was at, but it was, it was a great opportunity. So, and I, you know, it was something I was interested in doing. So I made, I made that change and that's how I got into that. So, to get back to your question, one way for people, and I get that all the time with sports law, mm-hmm. right? Being a sports lawyer, you know, how do you get into this? One way certainly is trying to get to one of the firms that has a strong practice, like like Foley, right? We have this, you know, this amazing sports entertainment group filled with people who actually, like me, who used to be in-house at these places. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is a lot of a lot of agents are lawyers. They have law degrees. I, you know, they don't do a lot of lawyering in the sense that we think of, right? They negotiate contracts and all that. But that's another way, you know, into that side of it. But that's a very different. Absolutely. Animal. I have to ask a little bit about your time with the Jets, and I'll be honest with you. So as a, I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast. I am not a sports person. I absorb it through osmosis from my husband. I am a bit of a Gary V fan, so I picked up a bit more about the New York Jets than I think I otherwise would I if I not listened to right. his material, but. And following you along on LinkedIn, it looks like you became the general counsel of the Jets, you know, I don't know, 14, 15 or so years into your career after law school. What does the general counsel of, you know, professional football teams like do? What was your job? What was it like working there? It was a lot of things, particularly because at the time we were dealing with a new stadium project and also dealing with moving the team from New York to New Jersey. So, and we were, we were building a new training facility and corporate headquarters in Florham Park. So it depends on the team, right? And it's these days, it also depends on whether it's, is is it just a team or does the team own a stadium as well? And now these days, the the teams and their owners also have a lot of other businesses that they're involved with. Some might be, you know, a football team that also, you know, the owner also owns a soccer team or, you know, some other business and, and the general counsel in certain structures can have a part of that as well. But for me, it involved basically helping run the organization, establishing the legal department. I brought another lawyer over to, you know, to work with me who had been going to law school at night while he was in the sales department. Coincidentally, that same guy is, is now the president of the New York Jets. But I also established a human resources department, which we didn't have. I hired a human resources director and I was basically senior management. I worked, reported jointly to the president and the owner and was part of I guess there was a group of, you know, five of us running the show as the president and myself as general counsel. There was a, a head of finance and a head of sort of like 
communications, and then the general manager of the football team. It was pretty much everything. And it, it very quickly became that that's where I, I moved from just litigation, right? And I was still managing litigations and things like that to doing a lot of labor and employment work and a lot of sponsorship agreements, um, real estate stuff relating to the stadium. There were zoning issues. There was a lot of PR communications and crisis management work. I mentioned employment stuff. There was still litigation. There was um, branding issues and advertising stuff, securities laws issues that had to do with the new stadium. And, and all of those things are still very much a part of my life, my practice now at Foley. So it made me very much of a generalist. And then when I, one of the things I did when I made the switch, right, after we moved the team to New Jersey, not wanting to be commuting all the time, and there were some other changes going on in the organization, that's when I, I separated. And I was, at the same time, I started my own practice and also was the general counsel for the New York, New Jersey Super Bowl host committee. Because I was part of the new stadium at MetLife and I had been a big part of that project, the stadium project. So the Jets and the Giants asked me to be part of the team to bid for the Super Bowl, to bring the Super Bowl to New York at the new stadium. There had never been a cold weather Super Bowl without a roof on the stadium. So it was a big project. So I was the general counsel for that initiative at the same time that I was kind of starting my practice, including, you know, the Jets were still a client and are still a client today. I went into sort of this solo boutique kind of world. That is a, a, a challenge to do. I can um, imagine that, so. And in yeah, that capacity, not, you know, you're still doing all of these different subject matters, I imagine. Or did you end up sort of focusing on a few of them at that time? No, it was still very general. Yeah. It was a very much of an outside general counsel type practice. I was litigating, I was forming companies, I was doing joint ventures, I was, you know, selling companies. Um, and it was good for me because, you know, I came right out of the bat. I had the Jets and MetLife Stadium and the Super Bowl as clients. And that's a great way to start. I had a, a nice runway. Uh, well, and I, I sort of laugh and smile as you say that because I'll often joke that people with that sort of practice have TV practices because okay. it's not that many, you know, where someone can have a litigation going on and say I have a deal closing Friday. Right. It's usually not what you see, particularly in the large firms, but you do see it. And actually a few episodes back with Steve Chimitas, who's a senior Foley partner, he's he had a hybrid litigation right. and corporate practice for quite some time. But I love hearing you tease that out because... It is a little bit unusual, but it can be done. It does happen. It's something that right. you're still very much doing. So what caused you to be interested in joining Foley? It's funny. Also looking at your bio, I see you've been at Foley almost two years. And we, I think I technically started at the firm a month or two before you. So right. I keep wanting to say that we both started a year ago, right. even, though, even though it's closing <laughs> in on two. What was it about Foley and, and what made you want to yeah. join the firm? So you know this because you joined not long before me, I guess. I, you know, I joined on March 2nd of 2020, which was basically like 10 days before the whole world shut down, right? Yep. So I moved into the office, did like the technology training, and then, you know. And you went I home worked, and didn't come back. Yeah, I worked out of the laundry room for the next, you know, six months. But what attracted me to Foley, I had been thinking about transitioning back into a, a bigger firm capacity and, you know, bringing my, my practice back in for a while. And Foley was definitely one of the always one of the strong contenders. I had thought about it, talked about different places. And it actually, I thought about it for a couple of years. And they're just, you know, either something would come up or I'd have some big project or something just, you know, pushed it off. But the reasons were, it's it's hard as a solo. I had one or two lawyers working for me at different times. And at the end, I had Greg Marino, who came with me to Foley. And he's, so he's here now. First of all, 
I had some like gangbusters years and some years that were just okay. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a consistency element, right, to being at a, at, at a place like Foley. These are just kind of reasons why for making a change generally. But I, I found myself, whether it was on a big litigation or on a deal that I needed particular expertise with, you know, I needed extra extra bodies or I needed, you know, some specialized skill. And I'd have to bring in some other lawyer who would end up taking some, of you know, big parts of the fees, right? Mm-hmm. Or someone from a firm. Sometimes I brought in, you know, different firms. And so that was frustrating. I also had a lot of contacts all around the country, particularly in the sports and entertainment world, that being in a, new, a guy from New York, it was just more difficult to activate those, right? So Foley was just the perfect mix for me of, having a strong, you know, sports and entertainment practice group, but one where there was a, you know, like space for me and, and what my skill set and my contacts and my client base was. And the geographic reach is phenomenal in terms of like the way we have the country blanketed. I, I've never heard of another firm with such balanced coverage, right? Because I think there's five offices in California. There's five offices in Florida. There's three in Texas, I think. Yep, that's that right. We've got, and then we've got New York, DC, New York, and Boston. So the whole East Coast covered the West Coast. We've got Texas, obviously, you know, Milwaukee and Madison and Chicago and Denver and Salt Lake, like the whole middle of the country is covered as well. And that's, that's pretty unique. That was important to me. And I also like the fact that the New York office of Foley was not one of the biggest offices, right? It wasn't like, and the culture is, they're not trying to be one of these, you know, New York based gigantic, I mean, they're a big, we're a big firm. There's 1100 lawyers is one of the biggest, but there's kind of a sensibility because it's headquartered out of Milwaukee. There's a bit of that Midwestern sensibility as part of the culture, which is nice just from a human perspective, right? The New York office is, I mean, we've, I think we've got 40 lawyers here, so it's not small, but it had a little bit of a less institutional feel, which was, I thought would be, and has been easier for me to transition into both from a personal perspective and from a, um, a business perspective, because, you know, like going from a small firm, part of the reason my clients were with me was because I had the, the experience in the industries, the sports entertainment and media and technology industries, because I was kind of on my own, my rates were very competitive, right? So I wasn't looking to go someplace where they were gonna say, well, overnight mm-hmm. you have to double your rates, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, fully, you know, the firm, the culture, there's a, an emphasis on the value proposition. so that worked well for me, but mostly it was the people here. And John Israel was my, you know, primary contact and he's great. And we just really hit it off. And and I really want to get him on the show, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so. be great. And, you know, the rest of the guys in the, the sports entertainment group as well. I spent a lot of time with Bobby Sharma talking about it. And then, you know, getting to know once I met Kevin Schultz and Mike Wall and some of the other people involved, but that's kind of the core group of us kind of running with the sports and entertainment ball. So all of those things really just combined to make this a good fit for me. Okay, so Andy, you've indicated that you know, you've a really wide practice and it hasn't necessarily changed a lot, even in joining Foley, but I would be curious just to hear about the general types of things that are on your plate right now. So is it still this robust mix of kind of all the things? It is actually, and it's, you know, there's been, a, you know, obviously my focus has stayed on on the sports side, sponsorships and endorsements, both with, I've been doing some litigation for, you know, sports agencies, but also a lot of the sponsorship and, and endorsement work. And I've been focusing on the entertainment side of the practice as well, because we have a lot of clients who get involved with, whether it's like a documentary or there are different music aspects that come up. And so we're, we're building that. And there's a couple of partners I'm working closely with on the entertainment side of it. And 
most recently over the last you know many months john and i and a couple of other lawyers established the, the firm's nft task force and i've been doing a lot of a lot, just fielding a lot of work in that regard because i'm very interested in it a lot of people still don't fully understand it but it is i mentioned before web 1.0 and web 2.0 this is now web 3 and in the same way that the world changed when the internet gave birth to the Amazons and the Googles of the world and all, and, and all of that kind of stuff, that's coming. That's right around the corner again. This blockchain and NFTs and this technology space is going to dramatically change the way we interact with each other and the world and how things are run. I've very much thrown my in, myself into that. We've established the task force we did a bunch of webinars. We actually, one of the things we did, you know, one of the first things I did was I just started, you know, making NFTs to say, okay, what is this about? How does it work? So we thought it would be interesting to put that on display for the world. So we did a webinar where we basically created and minted a Foley and Lardner NFT and did a live demonstration of the whole process, talking about the different legal issues that come up along the way. So we we created it, we uploaded it, we listed it on OpenSea, we sold it. We, I, you know, like it went from I sold it from my account to Catherine Zhu, who is one of my other you know members on the task force, to her account, and then she sold it to illustrate secondary sales to another you know firm person. So we didn't actually sell it out into the world, but right. we illustrated the whole the whole process. And in that world, I'm dealing with litigation, I'm dealing with securities law issues, I'm I'm putting companies together, I'm advising platforms, I'm doing agreements between art creators. And I mean, there's a whole universe of stuff and not a ton of lawyers in the world who, I don't want to say, you know, know about it, but like there's, right. a, there's a whole culture. Well, and it's burgeoning. This is cutting yeah. edge stuff and part yeah. of it, I think. And it's funny because it's indicative clearly of who you are and how you get involved with things. There is this need to jump in, see what's going on. And then as right. a lawyer, apply what you know to identify by issues. That's what we do. I thought perhaps you might say that you'd put music or something like that and sold it. <laughs> sold I it. did. I did, actually. <laughs> you know, the first one I did was I took – so my, my wife is a painter. And I, as I said, one of, you know, my daughter is a singer. And I took one of her songs and one of my wife's paintings, and I combined them together. And I, I made an NFT. Not for purposes of selling it. I didn't, like, market right. it or to anything. To see how it works and yeah, all of that. Yeah, just to understand what is this and what is this – you know, what's this process? So – yeah, so that's been interesting. And, and I'm uh, refraining from asking lots of questions because I keep saving things that say how to make an NFT because I feel like I should just dabble and learn and I haven't done right. that yet. Now I wish right. I'd watched that Foley webinar. <laughs> it's on the, uh, on the website. You can still so find it. So I need to do that. But sort of as we, as we start to wind down, a few more final questions. And one, I'm going to get back to those individuals who are really interested in being in this industry. And you've already answered it, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. And then we're going to get to some of your general advice before we're done. I'm certain it's intimidating for lost in Tobacco to see a student, someone like you who's so far down the road. And it sounds like it's go get some skills and learn about these industries and try to figure out the best place to do that. I mean, is that sort of the general advice to somebody who wants to focus on sports and, and entertainment? Yeah, but there's different ways to do that, right? Like, and from a lawyering perspective, going to a firm, someplace like Foley, for example, that is in the industry that you want, whether, you know, it's the sports or, or entertainment or technology side of it, or if it's some other interesting industry and some other firm, right? If you're interested in the lawyering side of it or exploring that, you do get the training you get at places like this is really valuable. You learn skills in a way that it's different. A lot of people go to law school and this is an equally, you know, viable road is to then say, okay, I'm not going to practice law in that sense. I'm going to go 
into business or get a job, you know, an in-house job as a lawyer or just as a business on the business side and have a law degree. And those are all, you know, equally viable options. But yeah, you definitely want to expose yourself to the people, people who are, are in those worlds. And as a lawyer, doing it at a firm that has uh, reach into the industry you're interested in is important. But, you know, you want to also, to me, the people are very important. A lot of young lawyers go to big firms and they get burned out, right? That's a challenge. You want to be someplace that has a culture that that fits with your mindset, you know, a place that you can be happy about going to every day. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, and, you know, I haven't had any, met anyone yet at Foley who doesn't feel, <laughs> feel that way. I think it's, I think it's been great. And I've been around like, and not only having been at other firms, having had my own firm, I've also been a client, right? As a general counsel using various firms, right? So I've used as a client, I've used various firms. So I have a lot, a lot of exposure from both sides of, of that, from big firm to solo practitioner to being the client. And there are different, you know, fields and different cultures at different, different places. So very much so. I think that's exactly right. Well, and then my last substantive question, although I'm going to, it's going to be a two-parter is one, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't? But then after that, that general advice, you've given a lot of great advice to folks interested in this particular industry sector, but your general advice to law students. Listen, I, when I was in law school, I was convinced that I was going to be a copyright lawyer, like a nuts and bolts copyright lawyer, right? Which, and I am a copyright lawyer. I'm an IP lawyer. I do it. It's, but it's, it's much broader than that. I was just very interested in it from the music and the policy perspective and everything that, under, that was underlying it. And when I went out into the world and I was working at the first firm I was at, I got a lot of that work I was doing. You know, I was interested in it and I was able to work with the lawyers who were doing it. And a lot of it was very, very sort of code-based statutory stuff. It wasn't what I had imagined it to be was fine. It was all good experience. And it's like I said, it's still a big part of my life, but more because those concepts underlie the industries that I work in for whether it's in the sports and the, obviously the entertainment and the music stuff, which I do a lot of, that's part of it. But the actual practice at a firm, it specifically in that universe was not what I thought it was going to be. So I, I wound up being at a place where I got exposed to the sports world as well and wound up running with that. So I guess my point is, Try to get a broad, you know, experience as many things as you can, because you might think, well, this is this is it. I found my thing. But when you're out in the world, going from law school to out in the world, or going even from being a junior lawyer to having to build your own practice in a particular area, it might not be what you thought it was. So especially in those early years, that's when you have the the flexibility and the time to that sample period. Yeah, sample different things before you really have to double down and say, this is my lane. So absolutely. I think that's great advice. And people sometimes need permission to do that. So maybe you just gave that to a few people. But with that, Andy, my final, final question, if people have comments or questions for you, can they feel free to find you on Foley's website and send you an email? Absolutely. On Foley's website, I'm on, on LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm on all the other social media, too. But for work purposes, those are my main things. I've been spending a lot, a lot of time on Clubhouse lately. Find me there. I think that's a great resource that people are uh, not using enough. So that's a good one, too. That's all right. Well, and thank you so much for being on the show, Andy. This was wonderful. You got it. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review, as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising 
and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.